So, full disclosure, I have never been to heaven. Uh, I do plan to go someday. As a matter of fact, I have this spiritual ticket. It's already planned. It's a one-way ticket to heaven. It was given to me as a gift. You're going to have the opportunity to get one of those today if you want. I won't be bringing any carry-ons. I'm not going to have to go through TSA. And I can assure you, I will not be wearing a mask. How many of you have seen the show Mythbusters? Anyone see that? Mythbusters was a great show. I don't think it's on anymore. Mythbusters was a show where there's a couple of Hollywood special effects guys and a bunch of other really super smart, nerdy guys, right? So like pyrotechnic guys, um, people who put together set design, robotics, engineers, rocket scientists, and they went out and they set out to either prove or disprove some things that you saw in the movies that seemed a little over the top. Like, is that really possible? Can you really do that? Uh, They also were out to disprove or prove some of the urban legends that maybe we thought. Like, they did, uh, could you be decapitated from a ceiling fan, which is something my wife is always concerned about in our house. Um, And and that answer is no. They proved that you couldn't do that. You might get a pretty bad bruise, but you're going to be fine. Um, The movie Jaws, I realize I'm older, a little bit older than some of the young folks in here, but seen the movie Jaws, at the end of that movie, uh, the, the shark has an oxygen tank uh, from scuba diving in his mouth, and he's coming at, I think it's Roy Schneider, the actor's name, and he's hanging on the edge of the boat that's about to sink, and he's got one bullet left in his rifle, and he shoots that thing, and it hits a tank, it explodes, the shark dies at the end, and everybody's happy. Well, Mythbusters did a whole thing on that and proved that it cannot be done. That was a myth. They busted that. How about Titanic? Anyone see Titanic? Remember that movie, Titanic? Well, Jack and Rose are the, the, the main characters in that movie. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, the boat sinks. Um, but the, uh, the end of that movie, there's this like, kind of wreckage that comes off the ship that's collapsing and breaking apart. And Rose is on this little makeshift piece of wood or raft. And Jack is hanging on for dear life in the ice-cold, freezing water. And uh, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but there's not a guy in this room that wasn't thinking, girl, move over. Like, there's room for both of us on this raft, right? Yeah, amen. I got an amen. And so Mythbusters actually proved that, yes, Jack and Rose could have both survived. They knew the actors' weights. They knew their heights. They took a look at the wood, and they measured from the cinema. They, they had all this nerdy stuff where they could figure out, like, the buoyancy of the wood and the water and all this other stuff. And they said, you know what? They could have both survived. I guess Rose didn't want to get her hair wet. I, look, I, I don't know what it was. So today we're going to be proving and or disproving some of the things. We're going to prove the things the Bible says about heaven. We're going to disprove some of the things that we have been taught or we believe about heaven that is not true. So... Before I get going this morning, I have to level set some things, especially as we get into the doctrine of heaven. We know from the scripture, literally, Genesis 1.1, it's the first sentence in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As a result, every one of us, when we come to Christ, we end up having this yearning to go home. It's almost as like when, when we become believers that God plants this little GPS in our hearts, a, a God-positioning system, if you will. And it grows stronger, it seems, as we age, right? 
And if you've ever been on vacation, if you've ever been away from home, if you've ever been on a business trip, if you ever have been at school for an entire semester, there comes a point when you say, I just want to go home. Have you ever had that? Absolutely, right? I just want to go home. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But that means that the original heaven and earth that God created, they absolutely are going to pass away. The earth we're standing on is going to pass away. They both have an expiration date. Think what you want about climate change, about carbon emissions. The latest one is emission from cattle that are going to kill the earth. God is going to end the earth in his timing. We're uh, at least a thousand and seven years away from that as we stand today. Uh, but uh, it is some day in the future. John wrote in Revelation, he was eyewitness to one of the most amazing events ever recorded. And he tells us about our forever home in Revelation 21. I think we have that here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We know that God is going to destroy the earth. He's going to give us something better. That's what God does. He continues to make things better for us. This, by the way, is what building back better actually is. (laughs) As believers, if we died today, we would go to paradise and be with Jesus. At the rapture of the church, we would all be united in heaven. At the end of the great tribulation, we come back to this earth with Jesus for the millennial reign of Christ. Then after the thousand years, God reveals our forever home, and we just heard that testimony from John. Okay, so let's get into this this morning. What does the Bible have to say about our forever home? Let me share with you. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 16. If you want to go ahead and start doing that, a quick message on this. This is not um, a parable. The book of Luke is full of parables, and, and Jesus spoke in parables, and the idea was that he was going to cast the truth alongside of two people, for example, and then they have a choice. Am I going to reach out and accept this truth or am I going to let it go? And so he taught in parables. This is actually an account. And how do we know that this is an account and not a parable? Well, for one, the Bible doesn't call it a parable. The parable, the book of Luke, as I mentioned, with all these parables, the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, and then you have the rich man and Lazarus. 
Also, in this account, Jesus used real names for the characters. Never in a parable do you see an actual name. So if this were a parable, number one, Jesus would have told us so. Number two, he probably would have called it something like the rich man and the beggar, and it would have started with, there were two men. But that's not what happens. So we're going to be reading the rich man and the parable, Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. And let me get that here in my Bible. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's a powerful line. And so we're going to start this morning Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We don't go straight to heaven or hell when we die. We have to wait in purgatory or some other waiting room. And that's busted. When Lazarus died, the angels came and carried him to paradise. Also, if you remember the two thieves on the cross, one thief ridicules Jesus and says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. However, his thief partner says to him, don't you fear God? We're all under the same sentence, but our punishment is just, and he did nothing wrong. He turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus' response to him is classic. And we should all take great comfort in this. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul also wrote in Philippians that to die was to be with Christ, and in 2 Corinthians that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. You might be thinking, hey, on a second, Alex, the Apostle Paul also used the term fall asleep or fallen asleep when he talked about the dead. And yes, he did, but that was in reference to the appearance of the body. And it was a euphemism. We all know uh, that once our soul departs from our body, that that 
ends our existence on earth and begins our existence in eternity. And just like there's a real place called heaven, there's also a real place called hell. We absolutely cannot forget or skip over that. Notice that in this account, the rich man also died. He was buried on earth, and he ends up in hell. The rich uh, hell is also a temporary and terrifying place that will later become a permanent and more terrifying place. And John details this also in Revelation 20, and I think we have that as well. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will not be disembodied spirits. We will have a physical form in paradise. And that's true. The rich man is talking to Abraham in this account. He can feel the heat of the fire. He talks about wanting his tongue to be cooled. He's asking for Lazarus to take his finger, dip it in water, and to touch his tongue. The man's body is buried on earth. But he must have had eyes to be able to see. He called out to Abraham, which means he must have had a mouth. He must have had vocal cords. He must have had some kind of lungs to be able to push air through. Yet he was there in agony. Have you ever, we've had someone pass, past couple of years, Stacy lost both their parents. And in both cases, we were able to, to see the amount of pain they were in before they passed. And you've experienced this maybe in your life, where you've either said these words or heard these words, depending on situation, where someone has come to you and said, it's, it's so much better now that they're no longer in pain and they're in, in a better place. And that is true if they are a believer. But as we can see from this account, it's not true if they weren't. That's really sobering. Death is the end of our life on earth, but it's the beginning of our life in eternity. So for the non-believers who die, it's not necessarily the end of the pain and suffering. You could say it's just the beginning. And so when Jesus gave this account, he was with the disciples. The resurrection had not taken place yet. So what are these bodies? It's a good question. Moses and Elijah appeared physically uh, during the transfiguration. In Matthew 17, we, we, hear, we see this account. The scripture points out that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are all standing there. The disciples see them. So if, in fact, we are disembodied spirits floating around in heaven, then God would have had to have given some kind of uh, body to Moses and Elijah, who were in heaven, to come back to earth, only to take it away and then tell them to wait again for their resurrected bodies uh, when, after the resurrection. So after studying the scripture, it's, it's, uh, it appears that God does give us a physical form while we wait for our resurrected body. Truth or busted? What does the Bible say? 
people will be able to communicate with each other between heaven and hell. This is busted. Heaven and hell obviously are separated. In this account, Abraham can communicate with the rich man, the rich man with Abraham, but we have to be really careful here not to hang any doctrine on this. This is the only place in Scripture, and it very well could be that this was done um, as an exception. What is made clear in this passage, and something that we want to make sure that we hang on to, and for many of us it's a huge amen, is what Abraham says to the rich man. When he talks about the chasm, he says, those of us who want to go from here to you cannot. Now, it doesn't make sense because I promise you no one in heaven wants to go to the other side. But then he also says, nor can anyone come across over from there to us. Once your destination has been determined, there's no movement. God is a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth. You can't count the number of chances. And if you read the book of Revelation, even after the rapture, God continues to send witnesses and witnesses and angels flying over to tell us and to tell us about Jesus. And so the essential part of this message and the meat, if you will, where the rubber meets the road is toward the end in 29 through 31 because someone who is determined and set to have their heart in this world and against God, someone who's determined after their own flesh is not going to believe even if they're presented with indisputable evidence. We all have people in our lives, some of them them loved ones, some of them family members, people we care about, who just refuse to believe. The Bible tells us that no one has an excuse in this case. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God did exactly what Abraham was talking about. He sent someone back from the dead. He sent Jesus back. We have a book that's been given to us that outlines everything we need to know about the goodness of God, past, present, future. Yet the non-believer has decided not to believe. And it can be heartbreaking. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will have memories of our life on earth in heaven. Truth. Notice how the rich man recognizes Lazarus. He also remembers his father, his brothers. He begs them to be warned so that they don't end up where he is. Memories and remorse in the case of the rich man are going to ring in his mind for eternity. Let that sink in for a second. The rich man is sitting there pondering and worried about his family and concern. And all he's thinking about are all the times that he dismissed the Word of God. And he knows his family is about to join him when they pass, and there isn't anything he can do about it. He's desperate. The actual life of luxury that he lived on earth has now become an eternal curse for him in hell. Now let's look at the contrast and the memories of the beggar in this account. 
Nowhere in the count does Lazarus say anything about his pain on earth. doesn't mention anything at all. He doesn't yell back at the rich man. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't call out to him. He doesn't have anything to say to the rich man. Don't you think he would? Don't you think he would have something to say about the man who lived in luxury and would probably pass by him every day, hoping that he might drop something or, or, or to have something to eat? Kind of makes you wonder if he even knew who the rich man was at that moment. See, when we're with the Lord, any memories that cause pain or suffering or anguish, tears, those memories aren't going to be remembered. Joyous memories are going to be available for us. While anything that brought us pain or suffering will either be forgotten or just simply covered by God's glorious grace. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21 that the new earth will have memorials that are dedicated to the 12 tribes of Israel, to the apostles. If you're going to have a memorial on the new earth and in heaven, then there must be some kind of memory for us to remember the the apostles, what they did in the 12 tribes. And if we can remember what others have done, we're certainly going to have memories of our own. Okay, let's continue on with some, hopefully a little more rapid fire truth busting here. Our heavenly body will be the same body we have now. Truth. The empty tomb is a proof that Jesus' body was the same body that died on the cross. Jesus alluded to this when he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Alex. Um, Mary didn't recognize Jesus at the tomb and his disciples were walking with Jesus and they didn't recognize Jesus either. Those are good points. Now, at the time of Jesus' passing, a woman wouldn't be looking a strange man in the eye and having a conversation, especially a woman who was in sorrow and distress and mourning, thinking that this man was a gardener. However, when Jesus said her name and called her Mary, immediately she knew the voice of her Lord. In the case of the disciples, Jesus walked and spoke with the disciples for quite some time, but the scripture clearly says in Luke 24 that they were kept from recognizing him. The Holy Spirit didn't want that revealed quite just yet. Jesus had told his disciples when he appeared to them, he said, it is I, myself, and of course we all remember Thomas who wanted to inspect the wounds of Jesus to make sure that it was actually him. And now you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't want this body. I don't want this body. I heard some groaning when I said truth. I don't want this body. I want a new body. I want to be taller. I want to be, I want to be thinner. I want blonde hair. I want curly hair. I want brunette hair. I want, I, I want hair. Um, the list goes on, right? We can complain about our bodies. The truth is that Let's not forget how awesome our God is. You know, the scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's craftsmanship. And you can translate that into the Greek word of poema, which is where we get the word poem. We are literally God's artwork, his creation. So let's not discount what God is capable of doing. 
with us. And we will be us, but we will be a better us. He is going to do incredible things that we cannot even imagine. Let's remember how this all started. In Genesis, we're told the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The only bodies that you and I have ever known have been diseased remnants of the original bodies he created for Adam and Eve. And I can assure you that our glorious, glorified bodies will be better than those. Amen? All right. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will recognize each other in heaven. Truth. When Elijah and Moses appeared on the transfiguration, Peter was there and he recognized them. And he said, hey, teacher, he said, I, should, should I go and build tents? For Elijah and Moses, how, how could he possibly know who they were? He didn't live in their lifetime. He had no idea. He didn't have Facebook or Instagram to scroll through and look up their profile photos, right? No idea who these guys were. So it's awesome that he was able to know them and recognize them. And there will be a day when we will be in heaven and we'll be able to recognize each other. And I will remember your names because I'm really bad at that. And here's something to consider. I heard a pastor say this recently, and I thought it was awesome, and I want to share it with you. Imagine that we get to heaven, and you see Peter. And you're able to say to Peter, dude, I read your books, man. You're awesome. And, uh, and, and I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm so inspired by you and your faith. And you, you walked on water. I mean, albeit for a short period of time, but you, you did walk on water, and, and uh, you inspired me. And Peter's going to look at you probably like you have three heads. And he's going to say, what are you talking about? I'm inspired by you. I walked with Jesus. I talked to Jesus. And you're right. I got a chance to walk on water. And yet I, I denied him three times. You've never met the man. And you have faith. How powerful is that? That's awesome. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will not be married in heaven. Truth. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now the danger here is to take this verse and be disappointed. Earthly marriage is just an echo of the ultimate marriage. We are the bride of Christ as a church. And so we're married to Jesus. And especially for the men in the room, that sounds really, really awkward and weird. But I promise you, this is not an earthly marriage. This is an awesome, awesome, intimate relationship that we can't even wrap our minds around. And the danger here is that you have a, if you have a good marriage right now, this makes you sad. And maybe if your marriage isn't so good or struggling, you're like, yes. But that's both wrong. Because here's what we know. We know that every important relationship we have right now is still going to be a very important relationship in heaven. That means your spouse, your children, your family members, your church family. However, they're going to be completely restored and awesome. And it's going to be great. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will all be the same age in heaven. Now, there's no particular scripture that tells us this. 
But that's truth. We can do a little deciphering from the Word of God. So follow along with me. Adam was not created as an infant. How old was Adam when he was created? Anyone have a guess? One day old. Hey! I love that. That is awesome. Rich, we didn't even practice that, but I love it. So we don't know how old he was. Bible doesn't tell us. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. King David, the scripture tells us, was 30 when he became king. When Moses heard from God, Moses and Aaron heard from God, and God told, was telling them about building the temple. He talked about the Levitical priests that were supposed to be the ones that were going to work on the tent of meeting. And he said, these Levitical priests must be at least, anyone want to guess? 30 years of age. We know from science, uh, real science, not today's science, that our DNA, not man-made DNA, God's DNA, its optimal development is in our 20s to 30s. This explains why I'm only 53 years old, but I tend to wake up injured most mornings. I woke up this morning and my knee was a little tweaked. And it's like, how, how do you get injured in your sleep? A couple of weeks ago, I sneezed and my side, like, I hit. Like, so, you know, I have a feeling that the closer, the, as you age, the farther away you get from 30, the more you're excited about the kingdom of heaven. Truth or busted, what does the Bible say? We will be able to eat or drink in heaven. And that is true. Matthew 26. We heard it today. Right? The Last Supper. And in the book of Matthew in 26, um, Jesus ended with, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. From this passage, you certainly can, can know that there will be wine in heaven. I'm guessing it's going to be the good stuff. If you're a coffee drinker, there'll be coffee in heaven. For the Cornells, espresso in heaven. I know you're very excited about that. If you're a tea drinker, tea, what do you drink? What do you drink? Any kind of fruit, anything that comes from the ground, any kind of juice, it's going to be awesome. Probably stuff that we can't even imagine and and have never tasted before. It's going to be awesome. And in regards to food in heaven, We also know from Revelation 19, John wrote, Blessed are those, an angel came and visited John and told him these words, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. Again, in Matthew 8, Jesus was talking to the centurion that showed great faith. And he said to him, I tell you that men will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And I strongly thought about just stopping right here for my own safety. And I thought about having security come stand on the stage with me as I talked about this today. Uh, I love bacon as much as anybody. I live by the words, don't decline the swine. I'm a big fan of the split-hooved animal. And as a matter of fact, I only eat vegetarian animals. So if this does not excite you, I get it. 
And I know, th- I know you're already thinking, wait a minute, Alex, what are you saying? And uh, I, I'm not saying anything, but let me tell you, let's discuss what God said about this. And anytime you want to consider heaven, it's always a good idea to just go straight back to the garden, right? That was paradise. That was perfection. That's what God started. So in Genesis 1, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw what he made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. There's no indication of animals dying before the fall. Paul tells us in Romans Roman 5 that just as sin entered the world, the world through one man, death through sin, that this way death came to all people because all have sinned. I don't think God would have created a world where animals attacked and ate each other or humans killed animals with suffering and death very good. Now, there might be some points against this. Let's talk about that. Scripture in Isaiah 25, 6 said, On the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines and the best of meats and the finest of wines. But this takes place during the millennial reign of Christ. The earth is still under a curse. It's not the new heaven or the new earth. Then we're also told about the new earth in Revelation 21, 4. There will be no more death, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus ate with his disciples after the resurrection. He ate fish, but he was still on the earth. Revelation 22, 2 tells us about the tree of life that's going to produce fruit, 12 different types of fruit every month, and we're going to be eating from that tree. Now, there very well could be a, a bacon tree. There, there might be a, a burger bush. I, you know, I don't want to stifle uh, God's creativity here. Um, it would be the coolest thing ever, but th- this isn't Willy Wonka's chocolate factory we're talking about here. This is our eternal home. Um, and what we think is awesome it isn't to God. He has such great plans for us. And we should not have any kind of remorse or disappointment about anything that we think might happen in heaven because he has great plans. So this morning I started telling you about my trip to heaven. Would you like to join me? So there is that opportunity here. It's important that we fully understand heaven and hell because those are the only two destinations we have when we, when we die We don't have any other options. And so this morning I talked about a lot of things that maybe give you hope. If you're a believer, you're like, that's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to see my family. I can't wait to see family I never even met. Great, great grandparents, people you know. You're going to know them by name. Maybe you had a child that passed. Maybe you lost a child before they were born. I have two waiting for me in heaven. I can't wait to meet them. It's hopeful. It's awesome. God has great plans. 
But if you're not a believer, you didn't hear that part of it today. And so I want to encourage you, because today is the day of salvation, and I want to be able to share the gospel with you in the most absolute, simple way possible. It's as easy as ABC. The A stands for acknowledge that you have sinned. Acknowledge that you need a Savior. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not one. We're not good enough. We can't be. We never will be. Romans 3.23 tells us why, and that's because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty for that sin, and Romans 6.23 tells us that the penalty, the wages of sin, is death. That, That penalty was paid for. God sent His Son, Jesus. We heard it today. We took communion today based on this. Proclaiming that God sent His Son to die for us on our behalf. He bared the sins of the entire world. Not just those of us in this room, past, present, and future. But God doesn't want anyone should have to go to hell. And then He offers that gift and that sacrifice he made to us. He gives that to us. He offers that to us. But there's, there's, there's not a catch, but there's a decision that has to be made. It's a gift. You have to accept the gift. And we all have the choice to accept or deny. It's a gift. You can't purchase it. It wouldn't be a gift otherwise. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So the B is next. And the B stands for believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is awesome. The C stands for confess. Confess in your heart that Christ is Lord. We heard it now. I'm going to read it again for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you struggle today with this message, if you struggle today hearing some of these things, that made you uncomfortable, if you struggle today with the question, do I have my ticket? Do I know in my heart where I'm going when I pass? This is an opportunity to make that decision today. We want you in heaven. God wants you in heaven. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness that you have, you have created this amazing forever home for us to dwell in. Your word tells us that you will be with us. You'll be among us, Father. There are so many more questions we have, Lord, and I pray for each and every one of us that have hope in your promises and trust in your promises, Lord, that we will continue to hope and desire your return to take us home that we can't wait to go and explore this earth, that we will scrap our bucket lists that we might have right now because we know that what you have planned is better. If the new Jerusalem is better 
than the existing one. I'm guessing the new Hawaii and the new Bahamas will be just as much better. So Father God, give us, give us that yearning to be with you, that, that yearning to follow you, to not put too much weight on what we have on this earth because it all stays behind. We're not checking any bags, Father. We're not taking any carry-ons. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.